And so this is this is where we are, right? We had a uh, a room at least this much was full ten weeks ago, right? And uh, here are the few and the proud and the faithful, and uh, who have hung with us and made their way to the book of Daniel. And I I will tell you, somebody asked me just yesterday, hey, how do you feel like the study of Daniel is going? And um, and Daniel, it, it can you know the first. This is exactly what I told Bobby when we first started. I said, hey, guys will remain strong for the first six chapters. Right, all those hero, sto- hero stories. I mean, you read those, all the bravado behind those stories, and you know it, it's exciting. And I go, but then all of a sudden you start to get to some passages of scripture that are a little more difficult to interpret, a little more difficult to understand, and you can't just fluff your way through those passages. You can't just show up with a group of guys and pretend that you read, right? Because all of a sudden you have dreams and visions and all sorts of things going on, and you know, and you're going to sound crazy if you start talking about that and you haven't done a little bit of study. And so I want to commend you for finishing strong. I want to commend you for sticking with it. Because as great as the first several chapters are, those final chapters that we've studied are the key that unlock much of biblical prophecy for us. And if we want to understand Scripture, gang, we've got to do the hard work and the heavy lifting, if you will. We can't just spend our time in Philippians and Colossians, right? Every word uh, through the book of Daniel is inspired by God. Not just Daniel and the lion's den. Not just the fiery furnace. But God has a specific purpose so that we can understand what is to come. Daniel, if you remember, it was written to, uh, to those who were uh, in exile, in Babylon. It was written to offer hope instruction and to serve as a reminder of what it looks like, an example of what it looks like to remain faithful in the face of opposition. And so, um, you know, when I was asked yesterday, how do I feel like it's the study of Daniel is going? I said, listen, uh, for me personally, this has been uh, really one of the better summits as far as just my grasping and better understanding um, Daniel. I've studied Daniel in the past, but it's always good to come back and look at it and to force myself to get past chapter 6, right? And to keep learning. Um, Chapters 11 and 12, as you know, you read and you kind of go, oh man, here we go. A little more explanation about what we've already read. And so, and I've spent a good amount of time up here last week flying through the prophetic calendar. And I'm going to touch on that today, but... Then I want to, uh, what I want to focus on are some of the main takeaways from the book of Daniel. I'll ask you a few questions and then get you to your groups. Um, but chapter 11, just to, to start to outline both of these chapters, chapter 11 primarily focuses on, the, on what has already been fulfilled in the past. And then we get to the latter part of 11 and into chapter 12. And what Daniel speaks of is yet to be fulfilled and remains for, for later in the future which starts about prophecies about Persia in verses 1 through 2. And then it speaks of Greece, and specifically um, in verse 3 is a reference to Alexander the Great who comes. And then we know that after Alexander the Great dies, he passes away, that his kingdom is divided into four parts. And you have the kings of the north and the kings of the south, or Syria and Egypt, in verses 5 through 20. Um, And then, then... there's a lot of attention, a lot of focus on Antiochus Epiphanes in Syria in verses 21 through 35. If you remember, Antiochus is the one who's going to come and who's going to desecrate, 
desecrate the temple later. And then you have the Maccabean revolt. Okay, Judas Maccabeus. And uh, they revolt again after uh, Antiochus Epiphanes. And that is why the Jewish people celebrate Hanukkah. And that's where that comes from. Um, but then it, after uh, chapter 11, verse 36, it starts to focus on what is to come. And we refer to this time as the time of the tribulation. And then in chapter 12, it speaks of the kingdom. And then finally, there's some final instructions that are given to Daniel. Um, the kind of the world powers, if you will, that, that are at play here. <clears throat> Remember, Israel is all one nation. And God sends uh, three sets of prophets, if you will. You're, you have 17 historical books, five poetical books, 17 prophetical books. Those 17 prophetical books, this is going back to week one, right? Those 17 prophetical books, you have pre-exilic prophets, those prophets who came along and said, hey, remember your covenant. Remember God's faithfulness in Deuteronomy 28 through 30. Remember what you set out to do as a nation, how God wants to use you to be a kingdom of priests. If you live in accordance to his will and his ways, he will bless you and make you a nation unlike any other nations of the earth. He will exalt you and protect you and provide for you. But, do, but turn from your rebellious ways. And, that, and he continued to warn the people over and over and over again through these pre-exilic prophets. And then you have the exilic prophets, Daniel being one of them. Because the people wouldn't turn from their sin and they continued to rebel, God allowed the nation of Assyria to come and overtake the northern kingdom of Israel. The nation of Israel, remember, split in two, and then the ten tribes of the north, they retained the name Israel. They had no righteous kings. None. And the southern nation, the nation of Judah, had 20 kings, eight which were righteous, and so they continued to prosper longer. But the prophets were sent to tell the people, hey, repent, repent. Or judgment is coming. The northern kingdom chose not to repent. So Assyria came and overtook the nation of Israel. But then Babylon came, led by Nebuchadnezzar, and overtook Judah. And so what ends up happening is, is Daniel finds himself in captivity in Babylon. And Jeremiah told them it would be a 70-year captivity, as we spoke of last week. And after Babylon, the next world power that comes on the scene is Persia. And what's amazing is when you study prophecy, you read Isaiah, and you know Isaiah speaks of the coming judgment over the nation of Israel, that a nation would come because the people weren't going to repent. But in wrath, God always remembers mercy. And Isaiah names Cyrus by name, the leader of Persia. And said, one is going to come and call Cyrus his servant. It's amazing how God speaks with such accuracy and clarity long before Cyrus was ever on the stage. Long before Persia became to power. And Cyrus, by name, before he's born, is named by God. And he comes and leads Persia. And Persia becomes the next world power. And, and because God is faithful to his promises... Cyrus has favor on the Jewish people and allows them to return to their promised land. And so what you have is Babylon is the world power during the time of Daniel, during the end of Daniel's ministry. 
And during the time of Nehemiah, Ezra, and Esther, some other books in the Old Testament, you see Medo-Persia, and then Persia comes to power. Right? And during this time, Cyrus allows the Israelites to return from captivity back home. And they return in three ways. Man's name Zerubbabel. All right? For you expecting fathers wanting to know what you should name your son, try on Zerubbabel, right? Biblical name. Zerubbabel takes the men back in the first wave and he rebuilds the temple. After Zerubbabel is Ezra. Remember the book of Ezra? Ezra teaches the people the word of God. And then you have Nehemiah. Remember the book Nehemiah? He builds the wall around Jerusalem. And that is how your Old Testament closes. So you have the close of the Old Testament and there's 400 years of silence. Now when we say 400 years of silence, we're not saying that nothing happens in those 400 years. Okay, a lot happens in world history. In fact, that's where like Greece comes to power and you have Alexander the Great. And you have the Hasmonean or the Maccabean period, which I just spoke of, um, where Judas Maccabeus uh, uh, leads the, the uh, Jewish people. And then you have Rome comes to power. And the birth of Christ and the beginning of the church um, takes place under Rome's occupation over the nation of Israel. But the 400 years of silence is not that nothing happens, but God doesn't speak prophetically until the beginning of the New Testament with the birth of John the Baptist. So your Old Testament closes with Persia coming to power and Cyrus, God's servant, being used to allow those who are once held captive to return home to the promised land. And they come back in three ways, again, with Zerubbabel, Ezra, and Nehemiah. And that's how your Old Testament closes. Again, just a big picture view of what we touched on last week is you have um, the birth of uh, John the Baptist, who's the next great prophet, the voice who's crying out in the wilderness, who speaks of the Messiah's birth, who's, who is to come. And then you have Jesus. And then his <clears throat> death and resurrection, which we just celebrated. And with that is the beginning of the church. And so and on the slide that you see, that little X right there, that's us. X marks the spot, right? And so in God's prophetic calendar, in what Daniel has spoken of, and what we know from the rest of Scripture, when, <clears throat> excuse me, when we put these pieces together, is we know that the next thing that we wait for is the rapture. When God could come at any moment, at any time. It could be today. It could be tonight. But God could come at any moment and He will call His church. That's you and me, those who have trusted in Christ. Not those who attend church, not those who are members of churches, but those who have a personal relationship with Christ. And he will call us and meet us in the sky. And it's at this point, according to Daniel, how all this fits together, at this point, according to Daniel, that the Antichrist will come to power. And somehow through his influence and his charm, right, he will... Um, win the favor of the Israelites, the nation of Israel. And the nation of Israel is going to make a covenant with the Antichrist, believing that when they make this covenant, it will secure them and provide peace. Right? This is all that we talked about last week when you looked at with um, Daniel's 70 weeks. But we know that in the middle of that time period, of those seven years, halfway into those seven years, a three and a half year period, the Antichrist will break his covenant. And this is what is known as the abomination of desolation. Well, he will enter into 
uh, the rebuilt temple. And that's known as the abomination of desolation, where all hell breaks loose, literally. Right? But then at, after the end of the tribulation, after that seven-year period, is when, you talk, uh, when we speak of the second coming of Christ. That is when we, as his church, those who have been redeemed, who were once raptured, right, and the dead in Christ, will come with Christ. Revelation 19. And he will come in defense of Israel and destroy the Antichrist. He will bound Satan and he will establish his millennial reign. What he promised to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, all of them, and specifically to David, that one would rule on the throne of David, that is the time which God fulfills all of his promises to Israel. We serve a covenant-keeping, faithful God. And your Bible is all one book, from Genesis to Revelation. And Daniel, specifically, these latter chapters of Daniel, which are a little tougher to read, when you read and synthesize what they have to say with the rest of Scripture, we have a bigger picture view of how God intends to wrap this up. And what is to come. I want to share with you just three big takeaways from the book of Daniel. Three big takeaways, which we've touched on over these past several weeks, which I hope you haven't missed. And the first one is just simply this, that regardless of how this world appears to be spinning out of control, God is sovereign over all the world's past, present, and future affairs. You know, I, like, I have a terrible voice, so I don't sing anywhere in public, but I do sing to my little kids, right, when I put them in bed at night. And uh, one of them's kind of like, whew, he's, she's starting to get a little older, like, hey, Dad, let's not sing tonight, right? It's a wisdom for that little girl. But the others kind of take it, right? And, you know, and you, and you sing, you know, Jesus loves me and those things, just to remind them of the truth of God's word. And, and one of the songs that perhaps you heard growing up is he's got the whole world in his hands. And somehow, as we get older, we, you know, that simple truth right there, it, when we look around us and we look at this world and we look at um, how it seems to be spinning out of control, it becomes harder to believe that God has the whole world in his hand. And so, but when we look at Daniel and we, we study scripture, we look at the life of Joseph and others um, out there, where it just appears that, man, maybe God's asleep. Maybe he's asleep at the wheel. He's, he's not attentive to what's going on in your life or my life. You can't help but when you look at these great stories in the book of Daniel to see how God is um, intimately acquainted with all of our ways, how he's providentially at work, working the, the affairs of this world to his purpose and to his end. Proverbs 21.1 speaks specifically how the king's heart is like channels of water in the Lord's hand. He directs it wherever he wants. And when we read Daniel, one of the great encouragements to us should be that God is sovereign over all the affairs of the world, past, present, and future. And if he's sovereign over all the affairs of the world, then gang, he's sovereign over your life and my life. In all the particulars and all the circumstances, God is good and God is in control. You believe that? Jesus even says to us, he elaborates on that sovereignty, and he says to us, hey, the hairs on your head have been numbered. Don't be anxious for anything. Don't worry. Seek first my kingdom and my righteousness. And all these things that you've worried about, they'll be given to you as well, Matthew 6. 
Look at the birds of the air. Look at the lilies of the field. I'm in control. I'm sovereign. I know your name. Rest in me. Because I'm in control. Psalm 37 and Psalm 73 are great psalms to look at where the psalmist, they look at the world spinning out of control and they think, Lord, the evil people prosper. Why don't you do something about the wicked? Where are you? Why are those who are unrighteous rewarded? And they express sometimes, I think, how we may feel. If this world seems to be upside down, God, where are you? And Daniel is a reminder to us that God is absolutely on his throne. And that he's at work in each of our lives. And it's a call to trust him. Which leads to point two is that the Lord rewards those who stand firm in the midst of opposition and refuse to compromise their faith. The Lord's rewards those who stand firm in the midst of opposition and refuse to compromise their faith. If you don't feel the headwind against you because of the life that you're living right now, then it may be because you're not taking a stand and living according to the way the Lord would call you to live. I hope all of us feel the tension and the pull and the headwind in our face because of our willingness to stand up Speak up, right? And stand firm in the midst of opposition of what we believe, why we believe it, to share that and to live it out in front of others. And if you do that, 2 Timothy makes it very clear, all those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, right? You're going to experience some of that. Now, you may not be persecuted to the point that Daniel was persecuted, but I hope that there's a tension that you feel. I hope that there's a weariness that you feel at the end of each week of remaining faithful, of declaring God's word, of calling people the truth, of reminding those around you of what's true, locking arms, confessing sin, studying God's word, and remaining faithful. And those of us who are faithful in the little things, gang, will be rewarded with greater opportunity to serve him with greater things in the future. But we've got to be faithful in the little things. And he will reward us. The third thing that I want you to take away, I hope, is that the accuracy and literal fulfillment of Daniel's prophecies up to this point. One, it, it, it increases our confidence in the inspiration and authority of God's word. I had a, chance, a great chance yesterday um, where a, a member of our church who has a co-worker and a friend he's been spending time with and just loving this guy. He's been faithful to this guy to be a good friend, to speak truth to him. And, uh, and finally, his friend and co-worker said, hey, you know what? Sure. I've got questions. I'd love to talk to somebody. And so, um, so I, I was invited in this conversation. We spent an hour and a half. And the first question this guy asked was, tell me why you believe the Bible is God's word. We sat right out there in that lobby for an hour and a half. And he walked in and goes, man, just tell me this. Why do you believe the Bible is God's word? How would you answer that question? Could you answer that question clearly and accurately? Or would you kind of fumble, uh, uh, you know, well, how would you answer that question? Because his next question is, 
if the Bible is really true, then I've got to deal with Jesus. So tell me what it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Tell me what it is you believe about grace. Because I grew up in a home where I wasn't taught grace. I was taught that um, I was saved by what I did and didn't do. And I had an hour and a half, a great opportunity. It's the high point of my day. It's just to sit down and share with him why I believe the Bible is God's word. And you better believe that one of the reasons why I personally believe the Bible is God's word and how it's affirmed as you study the book of Daniel is the accuracy in prophecy and fulfillment of prophecy. And so I hope as you study this that you've been encouraged that this book is no ordinary book, but it is inspired by God and accurate in all of its details. The accuracy and little fulfillment of Daniel's prophecies up to this point also give evidence for why we should expect future prophecies to be literally fulfilled. The prophecies which Daniel spoke of that now have, in history have, have already taken place were literally fulfilled. So why would we expect that those prophecies that he spoke of that are still and remain future, why they wouldn't be literally fulfilled? I absolutely believe that there is a... a Future for literal Israel. Romans 9 through 11. Write it down. That, that God has a plan for Israel. And he's going to fulfill his promises. And then finally, the accuracy and little fulfillment of Daniel's prophecies up to this point, it offers us hope for the future. The gang, if God has literally fulfilled his promises just as he said, we know how this is going to end. And it should inspire and encourage us to remain faithful, to find hope, to find rest, to remind ourselves of the bigger picture that God is sovereign. He is in control. He has the whole world in his hands. He has the whole world in his hands. But if you allow your circumstances to dictate your theology, you will be in trouble. Trust me. If you read the paper and you allow the world's news and the course of events to determine your theology, you'll be in trouble. But if we remind ourselves of the truth of God's word and we allow that to be a guide, and we allow that to be a lamp unto our feet, right, a light unto our path, then we continually are reminded that God is in control and there is a great hope for the future. And we can celebrate Easter. We can celebrate the resurrection of Christ. We can say with Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, O death, where is your sting? O death, where is your victory? There's hope. There's hope in the midst of sickness. There's hope in the midst of famine. There's hope in the midst of disaster. Because God remains sovereign. And he's on his throne. Three questions would be worth spending some time with. Is this is the last week together. Are these? If you were ever asked the question, why should I study the book of Daniel, what would you say now? What are some of the main takeaways that you got? If you were to um, ask this question, what would you share? Two, what lessons have you learned as a result of this study? And most specifically and practically speaking, how do you intend to apply these truths to your life? You know, it's one thing we often say, it's one thing just to understand prophecy. It's one thing to understand scripture, which is all good and well, right? But it's incomplete. We don't want you just to be smarter sinners, right? 
But what we want you to do is be able to understand God's word and apply it to your lives. And then thirdly, how can your group encourage and pray for you in taking the next steps in your relationship with the Lord? What's next for you? What's next for you personally? I want to pray for us, and then I'd uh, love for uh, the leaders to meet up here uh, with us real quick. And, um, and Bobby has a few announcements he wants to make. So let me pray, and then Bobby will come up and make some of these announcements. Well, Father in heaven, I want to thank you for uh, the book of Daniel. And I thank you, Father, for his example. And I thank you for the truths of Daniel, that when we look at the course of world history, and we look what was spoken to Daniel, that, Father, we can be encouraged that you truly have the world in your hands. And that, Father, that uh, you who are sovereign over all the affairs of the world, you're sovereign over our lives, our marriages, our children's uh, lives. Father, all the details of our work, um, of our finances, that, God, you're good and you're in control. Help us, Father, I pray, to not be a re- have a rebellious spirit about us, but, Lord, help us to trust you in the good and in the bad, to be found faithful, to be found like a Daniel in the face of opposition. And, Lord, thank you that you uh, reward those who remain faithful to you. And that we can look forward to the day, Lord, in which you will return. And, Father, I thank you that you're sovereign over all uh, of what is even evil that we see in this world. And, um, and, Father, I pray that our hearts would be encouraged today with the truth of your word and the fellowship of our time together. In Christ's name, amen.